Hello and welcome to All Things Urticaria from Medthority. In this series of podcasts, our host, Professor Marcus Maurer, is joined by his friends and colleagues to discuss all things urticaria. Over to Professor Maurer. Hello and welcome back to All Things Urticaria, the podcast series brought to you by the UCARE Network, the Galen Network of Urticaria Centers of Reference and Excellence. I'm Markus Mauer and I'm uh, very happy that I have today with me Dorothea Terhos Mulavi. Dora is a cold urticaria expert. She runs the cold urticaria clinics here at the UCARE in Berlin, also the urticaria research program, and has a long standing interest and lots to say about cold urticaria. Hi, hi, Dora. Hello, Marcus. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. Good morning. Let's jump right in. Why does someone get stuck? with cold urticaria. What's so fascinating about this disease that you made this the focus of your research? It's such a, such a broad um, clinical aspect, really. You have patients who have um, um, who are really coping well, who are like have hardly any symptoms. Sometimes when they're exposed to very uh, low temperatures, they do develop weird, but otherwise they are really coping fine. And then you have these really, really um, very um, severe attack uh, patients um, who have symptoms nearly every day, even at high temperatures, and who um, not only have weird and angioedema, but when they get a full body exposure, for example, they also suffer from system, uh, systemic symptoms um, close to anaphylaxis. So it's really fascinating to have um, all this broad variety of um, patients. Um, you have patients um, of all ages, really cold urticaria mm. can affect um, young babies up to old patients. So um, it's, a, it's a variety of disease, I guess, that's um, one of the fascinating aspects. What about you, Marcus? You're also fascinated by cold urticaria. I do like cold urticaria because I find it, you know, so, intriguing that you can put an ice cube on the skin of a patient and uh, just wait a couple of minutes, take it off and watch the wheel come. And you know what bothers me, Dora? That we still haven't figured out exactly why that happens. I, I, I want to cure cold urticaria um, rather than uh, wait until it goes away by itself. Uh, and and in, in order to cure, of course, we need to understand what is going on? What makes these mast cells respond to cold? What are your ideas? What, what, what research lines are you pursuing at the moment? Uh, I completely agree. We have, to, we have to get this done. We really have to find out and we have to find a cure for all these patients who are so severely affected. Well, um, as easy as it is, what you just said, you put an ice cube on the skin and then you watch the, the um, wheel come. It sounds so easy, you know? It sounds, I mean, it, it must be, um, it sounds that you really have to, that it would be so easy to find out uh, why this is coming. And um, it's so uh, obvious, but it's not, obviously. I mean, uh, many people have tried to f figure this out for decades. And, um, well, at several lines of, uh, of hypothesis has been followed and 
I guess it's a mixture of all of them in the end. That's what that's what I'm thinking. Well, so what's you, your what's your favorite one right now? Give us uh, your um, best explanation for why this happens. Hypothesize. I I like all of them. <laughs> But obviously, there's an uh, there's a strong uh, IgE mediated um, aspect, as we do have the patients who some uh, like a certain percentage of patients who do respond so well to omalizumab. So this must be one line of um, of um, pathology. But then on the other hand, we have all these patients who do not respond to omalizumab. So what's wrong with them? Why it's obviously IgE doesn't play such a central role in these, or like this, the dominant role in these patients. Dora, um, you, you, you were starting to talk about uh, the different pathogenesis that uh, could be behind it. I want to dive a little bit deeper and ask you about this autoallergic um, phenomenon that you described. So you say IgE is involved in some patients. Uh, clearly, one cannot be allergic to the cold. So what is this IgE directed against? Do we have any understanding of how um, cold can make something in the skin to which this IgE then reacts? And if not, how are you trying to find this? Yeah, that's the and that's a famous neoantigen built by the cold within the skin that um, is hiding so well and not showing to us right now. So mm. um, it's very difficult to find. I mean, obviously, uh, previous approaches have not led to the to the development of or to the um, revealing of this neoantigen, um, which would then have auto-reactive anti-IgE um, attached to. I want to turn a little bit more to the clinical features of cold urticaria. You talked about this heterogeneity that we have in patients with severely affected patients, systemic responses, um, uh, uh, potentially fatal responses, um, and very mild responses. Now, in the times of TEMTEST, where you can, for each and every patient, determine the threshold temperature, um, the temperature that is uh, warm or cold enough, however you put it, um, to make patients have this reaction, did that teach us anything? Are the patients with high temperature thresholds, let's say 25 uh, degrees Celsius or, or even higher, are they different in their course, uh, the duration of the disease, the uh, rate of systemic symptoms than those who need really, really cold temperatures like four, five, six degrees Celsius? Um, very interesting. Yeah, that's what we think. And this is what we see that the patients with the high temperature uh, threshold do have, um, are more prone to develop systematic uh, reactions do have um, more severe disease, are more uh, severely affected. But first of all, I really want to stretch how great it is to um, determine the temperature threshold for these patients. It really changes everything to them. Of course, they do know that they react to cold. I mean, this is what every cold urticaria patient knows. But it does make a big difference whether they uh, really know the exact temperature degree, so that whether it's four degrees, they know that they will uh, develop 
um, symptoms only when they are really in the snow or having uh, holding really very cold drinks, for example. Whereas patients who have high temperature thresholds at around 25 degrees, for example, who really know that they have to be um, aware of um, of more, a lot of many more things that they should really refrain even from swimming in an indoor pool in the mm. at, at the foremost. So this is this is the great thing to have um, to be able to um, measure temperature thresholds. And yes. People with or patients with higher temperature thresholds do have a more severe disease. Although um, I cannot answer all of your questions. I mean, we do not know anything about duration coupled mm. to severity of um, of symptoms. We do not know about um, uh, whether the whether it will stay like this or whether it will um, become milder within the course of the disease. But these things. Uh, these clinical features are really something we are working on and, and want to find out and, and uh, be able to tell our patients more about it. But at the moment, it's it's uh, it's gut feeling, some of this, really. I understand. But it's great to see um, the way you're thinking and moving forward. Uh, and the same also goes for the development of new treatment options. Um, I mean, we, we, we really don't have much to offer to these patients, right? The only treatment that's in label that's licensed for cold urticaria um, are the antihistamines omalizumab you referred to works but is not uh, in label um, so it's a good thing that uh, there are many new um, drugs uh, currently explored for the efficacy in cold urticaria uh, which wasn't possible until a couple of years ago because it was so difficult to measure the disease activity and therefore whether or not a new treatment works. And um, so temp test and uh, threshold measurements clearly have helped this. But uh, I understand you're also in the process of uh, generating patient reported outcome measures that allow us to measure in real life disease activity, impact control. Can you uh, share with us a little bit on where we stand with this? Yes, I'd, I'd love to. Uh, so this is um, a re so besides a temp test, which allows us to um, to measure temperature thresholds, it's really challenging to um, say anything about disease activity or severity in patients with cold urticaria because this disease is so special. I mean, patients they could stay in bed all day and not being exposed to any cold, so they would be symptom free. But this would mean, on the other hand, that they would really not participate in any anything um, work or um, everyday um, activities. But this is so challenging. This um, the exposure factor or avoidance factor is so challenging in um, in in measuring disease activity, severity, or quality of life impact. And we try to tackle this challenge and um, went through the um, generation and. Um, identification process to develop questionnaires to um, develop these three factors. So um, disease severity, um, disease activity and um, quality of life. And um, we are right now val uh, validating these um, questionnaires and um, hope to find good, uh, good tools to help us um, validate, um, to help us measure treatment response and um, to see where the patients stand on their individual basis. and um, to help the patients in the end with these tools, yeah. That's great. 
Um, I, I know you're running trials right now. Um, I, I know there's a, a dupilumab program that's uh, um, being brought to cold urticaria. I know that there is the idea of uh, reducing the number of mast cells, the, the, the key drivers, obviously, in the skin of cold urticaria patients that make them have these symptoms by an, by an antibody. Um, share with us, this is, these are very exciting times. Um, can, can we tell cold urticaria patients that in five years we will have a completely new and more effective set of therapies that we can offer to them? I mean, this sounds like uh, this, this, wow, <laughs> this is, wow, yeah, I guess we can. Um, it's, it's incredible, but I guess we can. I guess these, these times where we really have nothing to offer to this patient than antihistamines, which don't work in most of them, I really think that these times will be over someday. And I'm, I'm so much looking forward to this. And my patients are even more so. So it's, um, these frustrating times will be over very soon. We have many. Uh, different um, new drugs um, coming up, being tested in clinical trials and uh, showing promising uh, first results. So I guess you can say this. I mean, it sounds like a, uh, two years ago, this would have sounded like a um, science fiction, but I guess we can do, yes. It's, it's a, the future is bright for cold duty carrier patients and physicians. Fantastic, thank you, Dora. Um, so maybe lastly, let us understand a little bit more about how we communicate with patients. Uh, is it so that we can say to cold urticaria patients, this will go away at one point? Um, how do we explain to patients why they have this? Um, how do we counsel them on how to deal with this disease when it's so difficult with the high temperature threshold. Um, please share with us um, some tips and tricks that uh, you use when you talk to the many cold urticaria patients that come to see you and your team. Um, uh, yes, I, 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 love, I love to. So um, first of all, I do um, try, I mean, the patients are really uh, depressed and are really not in a good mood usually when they come to see me, especially now it's autumn and um, the winter is ahead and they're really um, tense and they're really um, not looking forward to the cold season uh, coming and they're looking for um, solutions how to uh, make the most of the upcoming months. So the first thing I want to give them is like some hope and, and um, some um, aspect that they can like to see positive is one of the uh, one of the things that you just mentioned. I mean, from what we do know now is that it is a self-limiting disease. I mean, data is not very robust, but it says that it's about five to seven years in general. So that is that sounds good already. So I can tell them that we don't know where it came from in the first place, but they have good chance that it will go away just the same. It will disappear as it came. But for the moment, for the individual patient, we cannot uh, make any um, prediction on how long it will last. So that's, um, yeah. Understood. But what do you say? What do you tell your patients on like where it came from and uh, uh, how, how what, what, do, what they have to expect from um, in the future from their disease? 
Well, I do share that this is a disease that will go away. And while we do not know for each individual patient when this will happen, statistically, um, the shorter the cold urticaria uh, is of duration, the younger the disease, if you want, the more likely it is to go away fast. And I think that's very comforting to a lot of patients. So we do have a couple of tips and tricks uh, that we share. Thank you for sharing yours. Um, Dora, you, you said that this disease is very heterogeneous. I agree. Do we know if patients in cold countries have more cold urticaria or if, if cold urticaria is more common in cold countries than in warm countries? That is something that you would expect, I guess. Um, but from what we know, but there's very little on uh, we know on this. And it doesn't seem to hold true, but this is really the the subject of like a big um, UCARE um, study we are running at the moment, um, Code CE, where we try to um, where many uh, you, fellow UCARES already um, did already join and I, including patients, and and we will be able for the first time to really um, compare Code UT carrier patients in tropical um, countries and in. Um, countries with cold climates and to see um, whether they are different, whether they um, show different symptoms, and also maybe to find out um, some hints on um, on yeah on the prevalence in um, in yeah in the um, large of case. So Thank you so yeah. Thank, thank you so much, Dora, for all of your insights, for sharing that. And thank you also for bringing it back to you, Care. Yes, indeed, the Cold CE project um, will provide tremendous insights and learnings on this uh, fascinating but also sometimes devastating disease. So thank you very much um, for your driving role, uh, you and uh, Moitza Bicak from Slovenia, really bringing this project to Urticaria centers of reference and excellence worldwide. And I understand there are already several hundreds of patients included. So something to look forward to, something to learn from. Folks, thank you very much for joining us for yet another episode of All Things Urticaria. Today with me was Dora, uh, Dora Tejos, the head of the Urticaria, cold urticaria clinic here at the UCARE in Berlin. Dora, thank you again for sharing all yes. of your insights. Uh, good luck with all your research, and we're looking and we're looking forward to hopefully talking with you sometime soon when you have news to share. This is it for now. Please join us for the next episode of All Things Urticaria. Goodbye. Medthority would like to thank Marcus Maurer for that fascinating insight into UCARE. If you have any other questions regarding urticaria, please feel free to ask us via our website, www.medthority.com. Remember to tune in for the next episode of All Things Urticaria. From all of us at All Things Urticaria from Medthority, have a lovely week.